SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, Conference USA edition. Typically, you would hear Joe Londergan, co-managing editor of Underdog Dynasty at the top of the podcast. But due to a little bit of a scheduling mishap, uh, it's just me. So you got Eric Henry, your other co-managing editor of Underdog Dynasty, also FIU beat writer here, man in the pod. Don't fret, he'll be back next week. The last episode you should have heard was our episode with FAU beat writer Kevin Felder. The next episode you'll hear is Joe and I's recap uh, over the past few months. Uh, we haven't done a one-on-one podcast, so you'll hear us just kind of give our opinions and news and notes on everything that has happened as far as Conference US is concerned. And also want to go ahead and shout out the return of the American podcast. Shout out to Joe Broback. He will be manning the podcast with Dan Morrison, also a staff writer for UDD. So keep an eye and an ear out for that in the near future. I think they just dropped their first episode about a week ago. So they will be doing that throughout the summer and hopefully into the start of the football season. But without further ado, we are continuing our Beat Rider series and got a special guest, a returning guest, a guy who you know very well, uh, Mr. Grant Trailer. Grant, how's it going today, my man? Oh, it's going great. You say uh, a guy you all know very well, that means I've been around for either too long or, or uh, <laughs> that I'm getting old. I don't know which, but it's uh, it's good to be back. Good to be talking football again and trying to move past what was a crazy 2020. I hear you, man. After the year we've had, you can't complain that you're still around, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. No, spring practice is – I've never been this excited for, for spring <laughs> drills. I know that. <laughs> and of course, want to go ahead and mention off the top that Grant is the Marshall beat writer for the Herald Dispatch in Huntington. Uh, Grant's also the sports editor for the Herald Dispatch up there in Huntington as well, covering Marshall athletics and high school sports. So, Grant, just want to start off, as we said, you know, it's been certainly a, an eventful 2020 for all of us here, but uh, especially for Marshall's to head into 2021. Before we get into the the coaching change and just kind of how that came about, as you mentioned, Marshall opened spring practice this week. Just your uh, initial thoughts, you know, just from what you've been able to see and observe from the start of spring up there. Well, uh, one of the differences with the, uh, you know, with the coaching change is that uh, media are not allowed to be at spring practice currently. Uh, I don't know if that's going to stay in the future. So uh, we haven't been on the grounds as much, been trying to do a little bit of uh, underdog, so to speak, uh, <laughs> groundwork and find out everything I can. So it's been a fun week. But, no, Marshall obviously uh, saw some success under Doc Holliday, and uh, Charles Huff takes over with a lot of excitement. Uh, definitely a, it's going to be a faster-paced game under under Coach Huff. And, and I think that's the, the theme of the spring is, is really, uh, you know, stepping up the play and closing the gap to a championship. That's the theme that Charles Huff has adopted. And a lot of returning talent from a team that made the Conference USA Championship obviously faltered toward the end of uh, 2020. But uh, tons of returning talent for a team that, that has high expectations with Coach Huff coming in. So we'll go and pick it up right there, Grant. And just, you know, can you kind of walk us through for those of us who aren't on the ground there in Huntington, what kind of led to the coaching change? Maybe that what you may have heard, what you may know, your thoughts, and and maybe just kind of the reception from, you know, the herd faithful and, and on that move and them choosing to go another direction. Yeah, but first off, um, you know, as Coach Huff took the job, you know, the resonating message that, that he sent was that, uh, you know, this is not a rebuilding process by any means. You see – uh, the success that Marshall football has had, and and he wants to build on that success and take it one step further. And obviously, he has championship experience at Alabama. Uh, 
uh, under Coach Nick Saban. They don't, you don't get many more championships than, uh, than coaching with that guy. So, um, you know, what, what really transpired here in Huntington is, is not uh, that Doc Holliday was not successful. Obviously, Marshall made the uh, COSA championship, won the East Division, was ranked as high as 15th last year. Uh, but it was it was a program that uh, you know those uh, in power felt was starting to stagnate a little bit, and and the enthusiasm wasn't necessarily there, and and they thought that it was time for a change uh, for the betterment of the program moving forward. And so, um, you know, we got talking about how crazy 2020 was, and and from a personal standpoint, you're thinking, all right, finally, you know, New Year's Eve goes into New Year's Day, 2021, it's a new year, everything's going to be calm. And then January 4th, Doc Holliday gets let go, and you're like, okay, like, here we go again. But um, it, it, was, uh, it was a decision that obviously uh, took a lot of thought on the part of Marshall's administration and, and uh, powers-to-be. Uh, Doc was in a contract year last year, and, and I think especially with the way that the season ended, um, you know, I, I feel like uh, people wanted to see something different. Huntington is known for its high-powered offensive uh, teams of the 90s, that's that's what everybody really loved. And, and Doc was more a defensive guy, and, and uh, you know, they wanted to get fans back in the seats because the brand of football, even though it was a winning brand of football under Doc Holliday, uh, it, it wasn't always the most exciting. And, and people want fast pace. People want down the field. And, and uh, that sounds like that's what they're going to get under Charles Huff, who has vowed that uh, the tempo will be one that's, that's a, a you know a, a fast pace and and the ball's going to be up in the air uh, with with uh, plenty of opportunities for players to make plays downfield. So Grant, you kind of touched on something there that was going to be my next question, but you kind of answered it, and I'm just going to you know I'll let you kind of wrap it up when I, I ask you as far as this goes. Was the move with Coach Holiday inevitable? I mean, I feel like you kind of touched on a lot of points there as far as. While it was a winning brand of football, you know, the fans there in Huntington might have been, been looking for a bit more of an up-tempo, you know, a little more of an exciting brand of football, so to speak. So uh, I, what I was going to ask is, had the, the you know, the last three, four game stretch there for Marshall been any better, maybe they'd continued, you know, 9-1 and one or 10-0 and oh or whatever it may be, that, you know, maybe Doc Holly still has his job or was it just kind of, you know, your gut feeling that – Sooner or later, this was just kind of inevitable, given the, what the fans were kind of clamming for there in West Virginia and Huntington. Well, and, and that's another thing about it. I'm not sure how much longer that Doc would have wanted to coach. Um, and, you know, one year, two years, four years, uh, he, was, he was pretty quiet about that during the season last year. And I think that uncertainty of his thought process moving forward matched with uh, the community, you know, sort of longing for – um, again, an air raid. I mean, everybody thinks Chad Pennington, everybody thinks Byron Leftwich, everybody thinks Randy Moss, whenever they think of Marshall football, all high-powered offensive guys. And uh, that's what the fans really grew to expect. And, you know, fair or unfair, the expectation wasn't just about winning here in Huntington. It, it was winning and entertainment. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, Doc's teams won dirty. They won with defense and special teams, and it was – you know, I think 20 to nine last year in a couple of games, and uh, you look at the Buffalo uh, loss in the bowl game was 17 to 10, and it was a dogfight down to the end. And and I just I just sort of feel like it was uh you know, it was sort of getting to the point where it was stagnant. Um, you know, fans were over the last two three years, fans were really wanting uh, changes within the offense, and 
Uh, I don't necessarily know that it was any uh, offensive coach's plan of scheming. I think it was just Doc's plan to win, which he went over, which was take care of the football, don't take chances, and, and let your defense and special teams win the game. Speaking of offense, the guy who's really been known for, you know, really been snobs with Marshall football as far as the, the, the larger scale across the conference over the past two years is that running of running back Brendan Knox. Of course, as a sophomore, runs for over 1,300 yards this year in a truncated season. Nine games, runs for 887 yards, nine touchdowns, and uh, his Marshall career is uh, now concluded. Who's going to pick up the, the, the slack there as far as the running back position that, uh, that you're kind of hearing? Well, you look at Sheldon Evans, and, and one thing that resonates with me about the 2020 team is while Knox was the production leader in Marshall's running back room last year, the captain of Marshall's football team was Sheldon Evans, which is his backup. And Sheldon was a kid that did sort of everything. He was involved on all special teams. He was the backup running back and, and really performed well in spot situations where he was called on. Um, didn't do anything overly flashy, just did everything really, really clean, but really was a vocal leader on the team. And so I think that you're going to see Evans get a lot of carries. But one guy that I think really could stand out for Marshall this season is Knowledge McDaniel. Uh, Knowledge McDaniel had, you know, the top average on the team as far as running backs go. He averaged six yards a carry. Uh, some of that was in, in garbage time at times, but uh, in the few carries that he got in during legit competition time, he was able to perform and a uh, powerful kid, but also very shifty and able to break tackles. So uh, depending on, uh, you know, the thing that Coach Huff has said is that everybody gets a fresh start uh, in his system. He's not watching any film of 2020. He doesn't want any pre-biases of any players coming in. So basically he has taken everything from a clean slate. He's watched those guys through the fourth quarter program and, and what uh, his strength coach Ben Ashford has, has relayed to him. And now he's watching them in spring ball and he's going to make his assessments on the team going forward. So, um, but knowledge McDaniel is a guy that, that has the talent and the explosiveness to really be a guy that steps up in 2020 or 2022, 21, two, one of those years, <laughs> one of those years, right? Yeah. <laughs> As they all run together. <laughs> for those of you just join us, we have Grant Trailer, Marshall Beat writer for the Herald Dispatch there in Huntington, West Virginia. Join us on the Underdog Dynasty Conference USA podcast. Want to go and cover this with you, Grant, because I know it's kind of been a uh, a labor to kind of figure out across the league of seniors that are taking advantage of the additional year, of course, that are provided by the NCAA. We know the situation regarding COVID-19 and eligibility. So uh, I know for a fact I was actually surprised that about I want to say two weeks ago that Western Kentucky's D'Angelo Malone, a guy that for those of us who spent time covering Conference USA knows he's been a dominant force over the past two years. It was surprising to learn that he's coming back. I actually thought that he had entered his name in the NFL draft. Uh, Grant, who are the guys from Marshall uh, as far as seniors that uh, have chosen, if any, chosen to take advantage of the uh, additional year? As of right now, the answer is all of them. Uh, the only ones that left uh, were the guys that performed in uh, Pro Day. So, uh, you're looking at a lot of talent back, and, and obviously the guys that, that have uh, entered in and, and gone to Pro Day involve uh, linebacker Tavante Beckett, who was uh, CSA Defensive Player of the Year. You look at uh, Josh Ball, offensive tackle, 6'8", 315. He's now gone as well. Obviously Knox uh, as well uh, put his name in. Defensive end Darius Hodge, who could have come back for another year. Um, he also... Uh, entered his name into the NFL draft. So uh, other than those guys, I mean, you're looking at, you know, Nazi Johnson, who seems like he's been around as long doing this as I have for over the last 15 years. He's going to be back at safety. Brandon Drayton, 
another talented safety that was a senior that's going to be coming back. Nearly all of Marshall's offensive line, which was a, a starting group that started five seniors last year. You're going to have Kane Madden, who is uh, rated as an All-American in some regards. Uh, pro football focus, I believe. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I think uh, he was an All-American for pro football focus. He's back. And so you're going to have a lot of veteran pieces that return uh, to Marshall's lineup. And, and that, that can only help Coach Huff. Now, the one thing that Coach Huff did say is, you know, it's still up in the air. They're working with administration. Obviously, there is a scholarship limit uh, due to, you know, the signings and the fact that Marshall can take partial qualifiers and some of those kids became eligible for this class. Marshall's going to have to figure out their numbers to, to get right there. But um, as far as spring goes, everybody is in spring ball. And then uh, a lot of the roster management will take place, uh, you know, in, after spring ball once the semester is done and, and moving forward into the summer conditioning period. Grant, I want to ask you, what is the feeling on quarterback Grant Wells? And, you know, everyone around the league knows that his guy got to a hot start. Obviously, some of the competition early on might not have been the best. I believe there was an Eastern Kentucky game. He threw five or six touchdowns. Uh, once again, team gets out to the, the undefeated start, 6-0, and 7-0, and and then his play kind of falls down the stretch. What's the feeling uh, around Grant, just around the, uh, the program and in Huntington? Well, uh, the program and the community around here are completely behind uh, Grant Wells and would love to see him succeed. No, the one thing that Grant Wells is going to have to do, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, like I said earlier, Coach Office said everybody has a clean start. And so, uh, you know, the seven wins that uh, Grant Wells saw to start the year and, and take Marshall to number 15, Coach Huff is not entering those into the equation. Neither is he the last three losses in which Wells definitely looked like a freshman quarterback. So um, it's going to be interesting to see moving forward in a new scheme that is more up-tempo and, and is going to require quicker reads, exactly how Grant Wells, uh, you know, really, really adheres himself to that. And so uh, arm strength is definitely not an issue with Grant Wells. He can, he can make every single throw. Uh, you know, this is going to be a more vertical offense going forward, and one of his strengths last year was throwing the deep ball. So I expect a lot more shots there. But – um, he's going to have to earn the job because there are guys that are going to be in, in the mix with him that, uh, that Coach Huff is going to eyeball as well. Grant, want to ask you this as far as Marshall recruiting. One of the things that you know I've been very familiar with, especially um, being here in Florida under the Doc Holliday's tenure, is he was a guy who always recruited the, the Sunshine State really well. And if you look at Marshall's roster, um, I think, I mean, I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I think outside of the Florida schools, FAU and FIU, they're always right up there for having, you know, the most you know, members on the roster from the Sunshine State. Uh, with Coach Huff being a, a native of the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, and that's kind of a recruiting area, that's, that's growing over the past couple of years. Um, and I, I know that he's made, believe he's made some statements on the record as far as wanting to make that a focus as well. Do you kind of have an idea of, of what the recruiting strategy may be? Obviously, at Alabama, you know, it's not like you, you can't, when you're with the, the Crimson Tide, you can kind of go in and recruit anywhere. So I'm sure he has his ties, various places around the South and around the nation. But um, has he kind of given any, any insights to what his recruiting strategy may be, specifically uh, uh, where across the, the landscape? Yeah, Florida is still going to be a major part of it. Um, I don't know that it will be. Obviously, Doc Holliday's emphasis has always been Florida. I think Marshall had 30 to 35 guys a year uh, from the South Florida area, and that's just because Doc had made so many inroads within recruiting there. Obviously, you touched on it. The DMV is, is uh, Charles Huff's home area. 
he's comfortable there and and there's a, a talent rich area there also the tidewater area uh, 757 in virginia is going to be a focal point uh florida atlanta some of those major hubs are still going to be there but coach Hull's philosophy has always been you know taking care of what's inside the ring and uh inside the ring for marshall university is within a five-hour radius uh, which does include the DMV area. The the Tidewater area of Virginia is a little bit outside of that, so that's considered more national. But what he's done is taken all of his staff members, and essentially his staff members will have uh, two recruiting areas that they're responsible for. Um, you're going to see one that is within that ring, and they're going to really try and, and nail home uh, those within a five-hour radius of Marshall University so that, you know, his philosophy is that those players will, will feel connected. Their families will feel connected to the university. It's easy if something happens for them to get back. Uh, it, it definitely gives it an easier feel for players when they don't have to go outside of their area. But there's also going to be a national recruiting aspect. He is one of the top recruiters in the country. He does expect to, uh, to land some high major talent at Marshall University. That's been his expectation coming in. And it's been proven this week when he got a four-star quarterback over the weekend to commit for the class 2022. So um, he, he is going to have a national emphasis and all of those coaches, while they've got their one responsibility or two responsibilities inside that ring, they're also going to have a national responsibility outside that ring. And they're going to definitely have to hit those areas as well and look for the top major recruits that they can uh, uh, within uh, those power areas, such as, the Floridas, the Atlantas, and uh, the Tidewater area, Texas, and other places like that. Grant, I want to ask you, and you mentioned uh, as far as a game score last year, a 20-9 game, that the game you'd be referencing is the win over FAU, and that one, at least in certain circles, depending on who you ask, was a bit of a controversial one. I know that FAU went into that game, definitely affected by COVID. Uh, if you ask members of the FAU staff, said that they were missing in, in excess of you know 20 to 25 guys. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. hearing, I, I want to say it was post, uh, caught the audio from HerdZone.com that Doc Holliday mentioned uh, after that game that he, he thought, you know, his guy, his 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 sideline were missing, you know, just as many guys as uh, as FAU's may have been. And, and if you ask both fan bases, at least uh, on the social media aspect, there certainly is a bit of a, a of a rivalry between, you know, those two fan bases. I want to ask you as far as, uh, you know, you being, again, you know, the beat rider and having, you know, feet on the ground there. Does that feel like this kind of a budding rivalry between, you know, two of the schools that have obviously been in, you know, kind of one, two and at the top of CUSA East over the past four or five years? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's any question about it. You know, Marshall and FAU, and I'll I'll throw FIU in that mix as well. And a lot of that has been predicated on the recruiting aspects. I mean, you've got guys from South Florida that chose to go to Marshall over staying home with their high school teammates, and so that that has really built some fiery rivalries uh, in itself within the game. But especially with, you know, the, the talent of all the teams involved, the, the Marshalls, the FIUs, the FAUs, and especially with Marshall and FAU, uh, you know, having such close games over the years. Yeah, there, there's some nastiness there. Obviously, uh, Western Kentucky is a closer proximity for Marshall, and there's a lot of bad blood there after Marshall's undefeated season went by the wayside with the 67-66 game back in uh, 2014, and, and that, that butted that rivalry really well. But uh, if you ask the players, I think that the, the Florida matchups are just as important as that Western Kentucky game simply because 
a lot of times that's the only chance that those guys get to play in front of their friends and family, and, and they really take that seriously, and, and it's a game that they circle on the calendars every year. Got a couple more for Grant. We'll get him out of here. Want to ask him about a player on offense who, if you look at the numbers, I believe he, he was he's second here. Or actually, no, excuse me, he led the team in receiving yards and catches, and that's uh, receiver Corey Gamage was a sophomore last year, 35 catches for 409 yards and four touchdowns. Definitely a bigger target at 6'4", 225. Just talk about him a little bit. Seems like he and, and Wells seem to have a decent connection in 2020. Yes, and if you're looking at one kid that could absolutely take off and become an NFL draft prospect in Charles Huff's system, that is the kid that you pinpoint. Uh, Corey Gamage, it's never been a question of skill with Corey Gamage. It's, it's always been about his focus and locking into the little details of, of being a solid football player. And, and honestly, that's what kept him somewhat off the field as a freshman. He, he got a couple opportunities and and uh, missed a couple reads and a loss to Middle Tennessee that sort of put him in the doghouse for a little bit his freshman year. Last year, he was sort of still, uh, you know, working into being able to focus and, and work his way up every single day. And then Marshall had a couple of injuries happen uh, in the La Tech game. And uh, down at Louisiana Tech, Corey Gamage took that game over, he and Artie Henry. And uh, you look at those two guys and add in Talit Keaton to the mix, and that's a really solid, and Brock Thompson coming back from injury as well, uh, one of the guys that was injured against La Tech last year. Marshall's going to have a really solid recru- uh, receiving core coming back for what should be an offense that, that it sounds like is going to air it out 45 to 50 times a game. Going to ask about one more guy here on defense, and of course we always like to get our fun question in with our guests. Uh, the defensive player I want to ask about here is Stephen Gilmore. You know, how good do you see uh, that? How good do you think? Excuse me, that he can be. If you look at his numbers, led the team in pass breakups, passes defense. Also, I believe it was top four, top five amongst Conference USA players in passes defense. Of course, that number a little bit subjective based on how many games you got him, but nevertheless, uh, how good do you see Stephen Gilmore being in, in 2021? Well, if you look at Marshall's defensive success last year. Uh, Stephen Gilmore was in on every single game he was making a big play, whether it was a pass breakup. I remember the Appalachian State win. He had gotten called for a couple of pass interference penalties on a drive late in the second quarter. Appy State's looking to take the lead. I believe it was a tie game at that point at seven up. And you look, and, and Stephen Gilmore steps in front of a throw and intercepts it even after getting two pass interference penalties. And, and that's just the type of uh, – type of dynamic that he brought. He was a next play mentality, almost a quarterback mentality. Didn't get too high or too low off things. But on the flip side of that, whenever Marshall struggled last year, uh, you look at at the loss to uh, UAB in the championship. He did not have a good game. Uh, One-on-one situations, UAB had a receiver that was virtually unknown that came out and I think led him up for about 165 yards and a lot of one-on-one coverage because Marshall's defense was geared against a run and basically put their corners on an island. Then bowl game against Buffalo, uh, late game situation tied at 10. He, he gets his uh, head turned around a little bit and there's a big play over his head. And, you know, he, he comes in with a lot of focus because his brother is an NFL player and he's got a lot of talent. And so, uh, so those which, uh, you know, a lot is expected, then there's a lot of focus on them. So, uh, he is a guy that has to be able to step up and play and be consistent. And, uh, you know, he, he can definitely spearhead this defense, uh, especially with the fact that they're going to be aggressive. He's going to be in a lot of one-on-one situations. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he develops after a, a rough ending to 2020.
Sure, of course, that UAB receiver you're talking about is Trey Shropshire. I remember watching that game, and if memory serves me correct, when we spoke with Evan Dudley a couple weeks ago, uh, UAB beat writer for AL.com mentioned that Shropshire mm-hmm. had a handful of catches coming into the game, and then you look up and he's got almost 200 yards receiving. So uh, that certainly goes as far as the highs and lows part of being a defensive back as far as that's concerned. <laughs> Grant, I want to ask you this. Last year when we had you on, we asked you your, uh, your favorite CUSA stadium and, and least favorite, and uh, of course, old, old uh, Ricardo <laughs> Silver Stadium, uh, somewhere that uh, I call home, uh, but I can admit the the, uh, the old press closet there. It's uh, it's, it's unique. <laughs> what a, what it a, is unique. <laughs> it is it is unique. It is unique. What's, uh, really quick for those of you listening, I, I I will give Ricardo Silva this. It was built as a soccer stadium, so there are a lot of uh, you know unique. Um, features about RSS that uh, don't necessarily make it conducive for uh, a beat writer like Grant, who's trying to watch, I believe it was the, the record throwing a TD pass and is trying to straighten his neck <laughs> to see uh, who caught that one. But um, th- this is the question we got for you this year. Um, got two, uh, two part. Uh, first one's going to be um, of, of your travels. And of course you've been on the beat for a while here. It doesn't matter if it's this incarnation of conference USA or maybe um, the prior incarnation prior to 2013. 13, if memory serves me correct. Uh, mm-hmm. Favorite Conference USA city? And then the second question will be, what is your favorite press box meal that you can think of that you've uh, you've had in your time? Oh, my. Oh, my. That's hard. So <laughs> many meals. <laughs> hey, um, hey, Grant, I, I, I tweeted this out um, earlier this year. Um, I <laughs> said it, you know, sarcastically. I think people didn't. Maybe it was too inside media humor. I was covering the Cure Bowl for, for UDD, and I, I said that the, the, the boxed turkey lunch that we'd gotten at uh, the Citrus Bowl was a cut above the rest of the boxed turkey lunches that we had in 2020. So uh, <laughs> there, were, there were plenty of boxed turkey sandwiches that we saw due to COVID. But uh, no, I'll let, you, I'll let you have at it. <laughs> Let's, let's see here, though. Favorite city. The city that caught me off guard the most. I'll, I'll start with that one. And, again, I'm going to say my favorite city, and I'm going to lump the two together because I stay in the same place, uh, whether I'm going to uh, FIU or FAU, got to be a, the, the Boca Miami connection. I mean, obviously, I love sunshine. You know, I love being down and, and the smell of the ocean. Like, that can just lift your soul a little bit. And so <laughs> – Love getting down there. Love seeing everybody. Uh, love Florida. Always have. Uh, and so as far as trips to take, you know, there's not many times that I'll take an extra day or take a personal day and travel a day early and stay a day late. But obviously that's one that I do. So um, that that will be a choice for favorite city. The city that caught me off guard the most, though, was San Antonio because you get this thought of Texas and, and you see Texas just Southwest and dry and things like that. And I think San Antonio is an incredible city with uh, such a, a rich history and, and Riverwalk will, will really catch you off guard because of its European flavor and, and things like that. So I love San Antonio. Uh, and I believe I talked about the, the Alamo dome was a really cool place uh, to cover a game last year. Just, just a very unique experience there, but favorite press box meal. Oh, um so so much barbecue uh to go around i love i love some brisket uh any place that serves brisket they're they're gonna get my nod of approval um i'm trying to think southern miss always does a good job with with food and and their spread north texas last year was uh or i'm sorry la tech last year was terrific uh had a little bit of cajun flavor but also 
uh, had some sides, terrific salad. I, I'm a, I like salad. Uh, I know that sounds crazy because, you know, sports <laughs> writers and salad are like oil and water, it seems like. But, uh, no, I love uh, love a little bit of variety and, and cookies, uh, terrific cookies. Uh, down at La Tech last year, I think I had like, I don't know, six or seven in the middle of a game. It was a long game. So, um <laughs> That, that sort of counterbalance that salad a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's so there's so much variation. The thing I'll say about Conference USA, there's so much variation within Conference USA as far as the sure. flavors. Sure. Um, that's what makes it fun to cover in the league, too. You get to try a bunch of uh, different restaurants and, and things like that. Um, you know, as far as going to a CUSA city and eating, um, going to UAB, going to Birmingham and uh, getting, you know, Saw's Barbecue, uh, terrific. Going to Hattiesburg and going to Letha's, incredible. Um, so there, there's there's certain spots that you always have to hit in certain cities. But uh, in terms of, of press box food, La Tech last year, definitely. Uh, I think I, I went back two or three times. I was going in between quarters and, and they had a sign-in sheet. And I think I was on the on the page way more than what I should have been. I, I will say this as far as CSA travels. I remember the, the brief moment we had a chance to meet each other at the Gasparilla Bowl. Well, it felt like the longest game I ever covered, or at least the longest third quarter of life. Um, yeah. I, I, I remember I remember you mentioning uh, taking a liking to my hometown of Tampa. So I, I um, can, obviously appreciate, can obviously appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, South Florida is, is one of those places that, especially if you don't live in this area, um, not saying there's anything wrong with living down here. I'm not making it seem like I'm complaining about that, but <laughs> – there's something about getting off, you know, you, you take that flight into Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood or Miami and you get off and you, you kind of just feel a little bit better. Right. Like something about that vibe does it to you. So I can I can understand that. And I'll say this as far as food. Um, I we have Southern Miss on the on the docket this year. So that'll be interesting. I, mm-hmm. I enjoy. But what I really enjoyed, Grant, was at CUSA kickoff uh, that Rudy's barbecue there in, in, uh, in, mm-hmm. in Frisco. That was solid. Yep. That was solid. So that doesn't count as a, as a press box meal. But as far as barbecues concerned, um, definitely enjoyed Rudy's. So I will definitely have to hit you up for uh, for um, some recommendations when we get to San Antonio and definitely Hattiesburg this year. Yeah, and you were mentioning the CUSA kickoff going to uh, Tri-Tip, too. It's terrific. Yeah. They catered the uh, CUSA yeah. basketball tournament about a week ago, and it, it was phenomenal. I got a beef brisket sandwich, and uh, I was in heaven sitting up there in the box watching, watching everybody play. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, definitely hit me up. And uh, food, you know, other than sports, which a lot of people argue I don't know anything about sports either. But uh, food is definitely something that I feel like uh, I've got a good palate for. And with that, we want to thank our guest, Grant Trailer for coming. Of course, he is the Marshall Beat writer for the Huntington Herald Dispatch. Uh, of course, you can find Grant on Twitter at Grant Trailer. You can find us on Twitter at Underdog Dynasty. Of course, we are SB Nation's home for Group of Five football coverage. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. You can find the podcast on various podcasting platforms, whether it's Podbean, Spotify, wherever, but primarily on iTunes, Apple iTunes. Find the podcast there. Leave us a review. The only way we can help this podcast grows through your reviews uh the the negative ones send them to me uh i'm not as sensitive as joe joe's a little sensitive so uh, i'm kidding of course about that but uh all reviews positive negative or otherwise who you want to hear on uh drop the review at apple itunes and of course hit that download button check early check often for more g5 football coverage at underdogdynasty.com and next podcast you should be hearing should be part two of the american podcast so want to thank you for listening want to thank grant for making the time and spring football is here so happy football watching everybody 